Okay. The date today <laughs> is September 28, 2018. We're live at Columbia University. 115th Street. I'm, I'm joined today with Arthur Chen and Rohan George. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having us, Kevin. Pleasure to be on the Amateur Hour. Yep. Pleasure's all mine. So, <clears throat> an unlikely trio here today, but one thing brings us together. A, we're all Asian. True. Some level of Asian ethnicity. B, we've all watched the movie Crazy Rich Asians, and that's ultimately why we're here today. So, Rohan, what's your relation to the movie, and why do you think you're probably the most special participant of the three of us today when it comes to discussing this topic? So, Crazy Rich Asians um, was set in Singapore. And, of course, for many Singaporean people, Crazy Rich Asians was really something that put Singapore in the spotlight. Many people in the world had never heard or seen Singapore before. And suddenly, I, uh, you hear people talking about wanting to visit this place. This is of especially personal interest to me because I am Singaporean. Um, however, I should also um, suggest that I'm, Singapore has four main ethnic groups, uh, Chinese, Malay, Indian, and Eurasians. Um, I am actually one of the ethnic minority Indians from Singapore, so I think my perspective, having watched Crazy Rich Asians, might be a bit different from a Chinese Singaporean watching the movie. Just to clarify, there's four major ethnic groups in Singapore, right? <clears throat> so Chinese 78%. is 78% of the population, and the remaining three ethnic groups of which you're a part of. Malay so Malay is 19%. You are part of the Indian which is what percent of the population? So nine, the true minority over here. So Rohan, a rare, rare citizen of the country that we'll bump into here in New York City. On the other end of the table, we got Arthur. Arthur. Yeah, um, I will say when I first heard, I think it was sometime last year that they were making a movie about Crazy Rich Asians, um, I was very excited. It was a book that I'd read probably in... A few years after it came out, I think probably around 2014, 2015, and I also subsequently um, read the sequel as well, which they're also turning into a movie, I think, coming out in a couple of years. Um, but I was very excited because, primarily because it really is the first movie probably since the Joy Luck Club to truly represent Asian Americans in Hollywood, um, even though the storyline does take it you know, abroad to... to Southeast Asia to Singapore and um, starts to create some more interesting cultural dynamics in that aspect. Because ultimately, there only is one truly Asian-American character in the entire movie, and that's Constance Wu's character. No, everyone else is some form of Singaporean. Had you guys read the book? So Arthur, it seems like you read the book. Rohan, growing up in Singapore, going to school in London, and coming to New York really recently... Um, Asian-American literature is not something that's necessarily impacted your life in the way that maybe Arthur and I would find significant. Have you read the book? And if not, what do you think about 
the book's impact to you? I mean, you kind of know the plot at this point. How significant do you find it? So I haven't actually read the book, um, but I've heard a lot about the book. It's uh, many people in my friend group have read the book and it's it's quite interesting because the book if i'm if i remember this right talks about students from a famous school in singapore called anglo chinese school now fun fact i used to go to anglo chinese school uh i'm not the stereotypical student of that school as the book portrays as being crazy rich but I do happen to know a few people who'd fall into that category. And uh, I think that that book, the book at least portrays some aspects of glamour and lux- luxury and wealthy Singaporeans in some sort of realistic light, I guess. I I must confess, I'm, I don't know how realistic this is. And this is, will be a, a theme that I bring up later on that watching this was quite insightful for me as well because I didn't know there was rich people like this in my own country yeah I mean let's let's be honest it's in if you had to give this book a genre I guess you would call it realistic fiction but the more I think about the movie and try to draw parallels or draw analogies to existing um pieces of media that people would know about in pop culture. Honestly, I think the closest things that come to mind are Sex in the City and Gossip Girl. It's, you know, obviously there is a lot of depictions of rich people in media. Uh, and I would argue there is a hint of truth in some of it because it's just so extravagant, you know, nice cars, lovely, amazing dresses. You know, they're wearing Givenchy, like, you know, they got Louis Vuitton bags, probably more expensive than that. But... Let's, let's be let's be honest. You know, this is this is a world that we're not. Ninety nine percent of the people watching this movie are never going to be exposed to. So it's really just a great, great. Honestly, for me at least, it was a great fantasy to just you know, get a little get a little sneak peek into what life is like on the other side. I mean, Rohan, you went to the school and you said there's some degree of it that's not true. What aspect? What, what aspects are accurate and what aspects aren't accurate? from someone who's actually been in there so i i mean in there are so the character uh who goes abroad from singapore to study and in particular not just nick but his parents his grandparents have all studied in cambridge if i remember right yes that's a thing that is quite common among what the movie called Old Money Singaporeans Studying Abroad in the UK. Many of them have studied law. Uh, that is quite common. Uh, the kind of uh, entourage of maids and butlers and service staff, I presume is common. I've seen some bits of that in my school life with people being picked up in a large black car with someone coming out to carry their bag and put it into the boot so that he can get into the front and she would then get into the back. I've seen something like that, but nothing like this. Uh, But I can easily imagine people that I know living lives not astronomically different to what we saw in this movie. 
Yeah, and I think some people forget that the book, and well, specifically the author, Kevin Kwan, this is large. It's almost like a semi-memoir, semi-fantasy movie. Yeah, it's right. based a lot on his childhood and growing up, going to these kinds of schools and being surrounded these, with these kinds of classmates and living yeah. some version of this lifestyle. May I? Please. I actually have a question for you, Rohan. There is only one scene in the movie that has any South Asian characters. And if you recall, it's the scene with the armed guards yep. when, uh, I forgot the name of the character, Rachel yeah. and Pecklin are driving up to um, to the mansion yeah, for the, for the yeah. party. What was your take on that scene? Because I think there's been a little bit of a controversy on Twitter and elsewhere about that representation of the only South Asian characters in the movie. So this is this is a topic that I think is is quite an interesting one for me to come at, especially because of my background having lived in Singapore and also having lived in the U.S. Uh, this might take a bit of time, but I'll get into a little bit about why I think the representation of that character was a little problematic, but not entirely uh, problematic in some ways. So first off, uh, at a, on the surface, and as I was telling Kevin off-air, actually, um, in Singapore, there was quite a bit of uh, negative press and publicity about this movie. Uh, one of the main criticisms was that the other ethnic groups that I mentioned earlier, the Malays, the Indians, um, were not represented as much as they actually exist in society. In particular, the Indians and Malays, like you said, Arthur, uh, seem to have been portrayed in service roles or more, I guess, menial roles. Uh, in reality, of course, uh, there are poor Chinese, there are also rich Indians and rich Malays, and there are uh, there's some variety, of course, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of social, socioeconomic achievement. But I think it, it was, on the surface, a bit unfortunate from a, a local Singaporean perspective to see no Indians and Malays in the movie. That being said, and this is the real uh, insight that I learned only because I've lived in the US and in Singapore, and that is this. In Singapore, uh, when you ask someone, are you Asian? The answer to that question is uh, more than 99.9% .9 of the time, yes. Because it's a geography, right? It's, Asia is a geographic region. India, Malaysia, and China, and all of those countries and surrounding areas where people who now live in Singapore might have come from would all call themselves Asian. I actually asked some of my Singaporean friends this recently. And most, and all of them said, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm Asian. We might not use this term, but if, if I had to say, am I Asian or not, they would probably say yes. Coming to the US, however, I was interested to discover that this term Asian does not refer as much to the geographic region of Asia as much as it refers to a certain part of that region. For example, I'm in law school now, and in law school we have a law students association called APALSA, 
Asian Pacific Law Students Association. This is common in most law schools across the country. I thought I would fit in to the APALSA student group. However, I was intrigued to find that there was not one Indian, Malay, Arab descent type person at that group. I also know for a fact there are people in those ethnicities in the law school, but they just don't think of themselves as being part of this group. Instead, we have terms like South Asian and Middle Eastern, which refers to those particular communities. This slightly roundabout description leads me to this point, which is that the movie Crazy Rich Asians refers to the American term Asian, not the idea that in people in Asia have of what Asian means. So when you're talking about representation, you have to keep in mind that we're talking about Asian-American representation. In that regard, this movie does a wonderful job. As Arthur said, and many people in this country, this movie is one of the first movies to have an all-Asian or largely Asian cast, has portrayed Asians in, in a light that we rarely see in, on the big screen. And that those things are all true. It, it's true from a Singaporean perspective that, yeah, there, there aren't that many minorities represented. But in reality, the way I look at it, that's not what the director might have had in mind when he called his movie Crazy Rich Asians. He's looking at Asian Americans, not Asians as people in Singapore or in Asia understand it. Sorry for the uh, verbal diarrhea. No, not at all. I, I think this movie plays such a it, it takes such an interesting role because again, written by a Singaporean, uh, has only one Asian American character, and frankly, only I think a handful of Asian American uh, actors. I can probably count on one hand, and I think the rest of them are a very international crowd: British actors, Malaysian actors, Singaporean actors, uh, Chinese actors as well, Hong Kong actors. Um, so it's always interesting because this is technically a Hollywood movie and yet it's perhaps the most international movie to you know get to reach this kind of success in Hollywood maybe ever maybe since I don't know Black Panther but Black Panther is they're all African Americans it's similar yeah it's the same kind of genre Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians in terms of the uh, representation and the lack thereof of representation in other movies. Yeah, and I, th- I think Black Panther, it's a great parallel because, number one, it also came out this year, and number two is... It's done the, very well. Yeah, done very well. The the most successful, you could call, you know, quote-unquote, black movie that's ever been. I think it's one of the top ten movies of all time, period. Probably true, yeah. Um, but even that movie, I feel like they do a pretty good job of representing very different... Well, it, it has the benefit, number one, of being entirely fictional. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking place in a fictional country in somewhere in Africa, but it is in Africa. Uh, but even that movie, I felt like, did do a okay job at getting a, a diverse uh, cast of mm-hmm. not only African-American actors, but also British-African actors. I hope yeah. there were a couple of you know African actors as well that were involved. Um, but 
I think Crazy Rich Asians, since number one, it's based on a book, and number two, it's um, made by American American production company, but set in Singapore, I think it, it uh, enters kind of a muddy territory that mm-hmm. really hasn't been touched ever before. Actually, that's that. I mean, you you highlighted something I myself noticed, which is the accents of all the characters were not all Asian American. A lot of them uh, sounded British. Maybe if if they planned it, because a lot of these people they were portraying had studied in England and came back to Singapore, so on, and therefore had some sort of a British accent. That was a masterstroke. Uh, if that's what he was thinking, but I, the the broader point that there were there's a multitude of people who you could label as Asian is something that if m- people who watch this movie didn't know before, they should be very well aware of now that it's not just what you the the small subset of people that you call Asian that fit in this category. There's a whole lot of people who fall into this category and. That that's the diversity to celebrate, really, which this movie does a good job of doing. Yeah, but at the same time, I wonder if this movie would have been quite as successful if it weren't for the fact that, one, it was so international, uh, and two, it was set in another country. If Crazy Rich Asians was, going back to my analogy to Gossip Girl, if it were about rich Asians in, say, New York or Los Angeles or Miami, I don't know, I'm not sure it would do quite as well. Uh, I think of, I've seen some, maybe it was MTV or maybe it was just a random series. Uh, I've seen a couple of like very small series about depicting rich Koreans in LA and rich uh, Chinese Canadians living in Vancouver that were kind of in the same vein in terms of the storylines as Crazy Rich Asians, obviously without a whole book behind it, you know, just reality television, really. Um, but I'm not sure those would be as successful as Crazy Rich Asians has turned out to be. I never really thought of that. That's kind of that's true, actually. That, and I guess drawing a, another parallel to Black Panther, it has the benefit of being set in another country for the Asian American audience. And so, I mean, I that that's an interesting point, really. I do. What do you have any views on that, Kevin? I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) Arthur, wait. Again, this movie is successful, and I think it should be celebrated. No question. It's it's a movie unlike any other since Joy Luck Club, which was, while it was a pioneering movie, ultimately was not nearly as successful. Not to say that financial box office success is the only determining factor of how successful this movie really ended up being. I think its impact will be felt for years to come. But at the same time, I'm hesitant to celebrate it because it's not a fully Asian-American movie. I think it, sh- it should be celebrated nonetheless. But I think if this movie had been made, say, by uh, a Chinese language film or a... I'm not sure. I don't know much about the Singaporean film industry, but if, they, if the Singaporeans had made this kind of movie... Um, Yes, it probably wouldn't be as successful because it is not really, pan, uh, you know, um, a, addressing. Yeah, it doesn't have the financial backing, and it's not addressing, you know, the largest audience in the world, which is the American audience. But in terms of storylines, I I would like to see more like things like the TV show Fresh Off the Boat. If that 
can see more success because I think that movie, that TV show, has not been quite as successful in the realm of TV as Crazy Rich Asians has in the realm of movies. So I think yeah, for Arthur and I growing up here, you know, Asian American culture, Asian American upbringing, all of those things are. You know the the subset of people who have experienced that, like the Asian American group overall, is not very large compared to like the people in Asia. There are billions of people in Asia, right? So I think it would be nice for us to kind of see our own lives on screen, as we saw a little piece of it on Crazy Rich Asians. But at the end of the day, like it seems like they went for a broader appeal. Like the novel appeals more towards the entire Chinese diaspora, really. Like it's not even about like Singapore anymore. It's about you put a little bit of like this Chinese American like main character. Then you have the Chinese diaspora, like you said, of people with different accents from the UK,、uh, from other countries, who show that you know there really is a presence and there really is some kind of difference, whether it's in their accent or the way they act, things like that.、Um, Rohan, as someone who you know, a grew up in Asia, in Singapore, went to India on the holidays, you know, has been in London and now New York, and I'm you know I'm presuming you've interacted with Singaporeans and Asians in these different cities. How much of a win do you think this is for, I don't know, Asians overall, or or, or do you think that a particular Asian subgroup、um, was better represented or not? Like, is the Asian American experience very different from like the Asian Londoner experience, or do you think kind of speaking to the entire Chinese Asian diaspora is sufficiently like encapsulating to be important? See that's an interesting question because there's a there's a line that you tread be- between overrepresentation and underrepresentation, right? So earlier I was saying that I thought if you're going for an Asian American audience, then this film represents Asian Americans, right? But what Bo- what Arthur was saying earlier is that. This represents something broader than that. It's not, in fact not just the Asian American. Life experience, but rather the Chinese diaspora. Now, if if let's say that was the aim of the movie. Now, of course, we are really speculating here. And if 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 you're trying to represent the Chinese diaspora, well, then I guess you also did a great job. I when I say there's a line that there's a fine line that we tread regarding representation. What I refer to is that. At some point, when you try to make the group you're representing broader and broader, there are bigger and bigger pieces that you leave out, which become telling. In this case, there's a billion and a half people in China, but there's a billion people in India as well, who might call themselves Asian, but were only represented with Sikh security guards.、Uh, Now, as I was saying, I have a view as to why that was、uh, not, I, I guess, quote unquote, derogatory in some way. But if if we're talking about this movie being a some sort of pan Asian representation movie, then I mean, in reality, this movie has not lived up to that standard because there are so many people in the Middle East. In Malaysia and in Indonesia, there's hundreds of millions of people there. There are people that are in Thailand and Laos and Myanmar and Vietnam. 
There are people in Asia, in India and Pakistan and Sri Lanka and Nepal and Bhutan. There are Central Asians as well in Kazakhstan, in all of the other countries around them, who look different, who sound different, who have totally different cultures. But those were not represented. Now, the fact of the matter is, in the US, we wouldn't call those groups of people Asian. Is that right or not? Can I clarify that? Would you call any of what I described in the last minute, would you call them as Asian or would you call them as South Asian and Middle Eastern and Arab and so on? So I think for tax purposes, they would be Asian. I think you're right. Going back to the college experience, same thing happened in my at my undergrad. There was a South Asia society. As for as, as for the what you call East Asian countries, every country had its own student association. KSA, Koreans, CSA, Chinese, JSA, Japanese, VSA, Vietnamese. I can go on and on. Mm-hmm. But it was only South Asia that had a regional group as their own as their major form of representation. On in student in student life. Interesting. So that's quite different to what I was saying earlier about my experience in law school and even in some of in many of the law firms who have Asian groups. I, I think I think when you get into post college life, yeah, it's a bit. It's probably different. They almost yeah. has you. You almost have to bubble it up into yeah. large organizations. I, I guess that's and, true, and also my my own lack of awareness really because I've been in the U.S. for just a little over a year that um, perhaps my reading of this situation is not exactly as accurate as it should be. Um, But yeah, I I guess to answer your question that we didn't really get onto earlier, Kevin, I guess you could call it a win for some part of Asia. And I guess I'm a more optimistic person. So rather than chastise the lack of representation of certain groups, I think it's also important to just comment on the fact that this is a first, at least in my lifetime, to see a movie, a mainstream movie from Hollywood that has characters that look like that and talk like that and sound like that and live like that. Because we just are not used to seeing that. And, you know, that's something to be celebrated. So I think for me and Arthur, having grown up here, and like you mentioned earlier, Joy Luck Club is really the only movie that's similar. And even that's a movie that's absolutely, that absolutely nobody's watched. Which I sadly have not seen. You're right. Yeah, like absolutely nobody's watched it. So for us, it's one of the, it's one of the few. The book, yeah, we read it. We all read it in school. Um, but it's one of those like few wins that we have as Asian Americans, or you can even just call it like ethnic Asians living in this country. But for you living in an area where like all media is, you know, really by definition Asian, um, how important is this movie to you? Maybe it's because of the fact that it's coming out of Hollywood, which is this major um, cultural center for media in the U S and around the world as well. But to what extent do you think that this movie is really important? Because I think for Arthur and I living here, it's probably much more important than it is for any other group. So I think answering this question involves recognizing that U.S. culture and U.S. soft power has an incredibly broad reach. 
I grew up in Singapore, but the shows I watched and the shows my friends watch were ninety percent U.S. TV shows. We all, most of my friends watched Friends, and most of my friends watched Two and a Half Men and Modern Family and Seinfeld, and the list goes on. I'm sure a lot of people also watch the local dramas and Korean dramas and Taiwanese dramas are also very popular in Singapore. Not personally, but I'm sure there are many people who watch those. But, you know, especially recognizing that American culture and movies and the film industry has played such a big role in shaping our understanding of what like big movies and TV shows are like, this was an important movie. It's, there's no denying that. Of course, maybe if it was a Singaporean movie that saw as much success, yeah, that would be, you know, much more of a victory for Singapore. But, you know, the fact remains, the, as Arthur said, the ho- Hollywood is the, one, of the, one of, if not the biggest movie industry in the world. And they produce movies that have, uh, that have global appeal. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a victory on that front for sure. Yeah, I mean, going back to your point before, uh, I think you made my point for me and said it in a much better way than I could ever say it. That's why you're going to be a lawyer soon. Um, yeah, I think it's a win, but at the same time, we also need to recognize that we can't put all of our hopes and dreams on a single movie. I don't think there's a any movie, at least I say this now, but maybe I'll, I'll be proven wrong, any movie that can represent all... Asians in the broader definition well and in a coherent movie in a mm-hmm. good movie yeah that will also appeal to a large audience and you know make hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office I just don't think it's possible but I do think that I hope and I hope that this movie will precipitate the development and the writing of more uh, ethnic films ethnic films in mainstream media in mainstream exactly and i think it, we are starting to see that we yep. see that with uh master of none it's an indian american but also co-written by a uh i believe chinese american uh aziz ansari mm-hmm. and alan yang yeah uh you see uh more movies with lgbt storylines you see more uh f- female-led uh shows uh, I think we're starting to see it. We hadn't seen it until this point with the, I would say, the twofer of Fresh Off the Boat and Crazy Rich Asians, at least for the East Asian community. Mm-hmm. I hope to see more of that for the South Asian American community as well very soon, besides Aziz Ansari. <laughs> um, and for really any other, all of the other underrepresented you know, ethnicities groups, yeah. and groups not only in the United States, but also in Britain mm-hmm. and in, in Singapore. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there about drawing the line between making a good movie and representing a wide range of people. The fact remains that this is a movie made by one person, right? Like, uh, if he was trying to please everyone, then his task would be impossible. Uh, even, even just regular Hollywood movies. Uh, maybe they represent people from the South in a slightly derogatory way at some times. Maybe they represent people from New York as being too aggressive. Maybe they represent people from... But that's f- true. Well, I mean, there, there, are, there are just so many movies where people are represented in different ways, some of them good, some of them bad. And there's a line, obviously, that 
between making a good movie and making a movie that accurately represents people and not offending some sensitivities. And you know what? As a director, having to just considering this and deciding whether or not you cast certain people in a certain role or you create a certain role for a certain person, you know what? That's a step in the right direction already. And I think that's something that you have to applaud instead of, uh, along with recognizing that there's more to be done, but it's something to applaud. I should have asked this at the beginning. Um, do you think this movie was good? And do you think it was important that it was good? Yes and yes. Um, it's Honestly, I think it was a very, I thought it was much better than it deserved to be. Having read the book, it is literally Sex in the City set in Singapore, uh, or more so Gossip Girl, but you know, in college instead of in uh, private schools. Um, no, sorry, after college, what am I saying? Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a good movie, and I think for the longest time, it was like almost as much as I like to hate on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's like 98 or 99%, which is ridiculous. You know, it's like that, that's rare, uh, rare to say the least. Um, so I'm glad that people are appreciating the movie not only for um, its uh, it it's being a watershed moment for Asian Americans in Asians and Asian Americans in cinema, but also for its merits as a movie. You know, it is a little long, but I think the music's great. I think the acting is spectacular. I mean, Henry Golding is not an actor, and people forget that because he's a good-looking guy, um, and I didn't actually I, know that until very recently. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy. But also, I mean, the rest of the cast is ridiculously yeah. good. Like Michelle Yeoh is a, a goddess, Asian living living Asian goddess. Uh, but the movie, I think, is well paced. Uh, the action is is fun. Um, I laughed. I cried. Like it really had everything I looked for in a rom com. So I I must confess I didn't cry, uh, but I so. There's a couple of things I want to get into. On the whole, I will say I love the movie. Uh, it was hilarious. Uh, but I was actually uh, intrigued by a couple of things, which I don't know if uh, you, Arthur and Kevin, are the right people to answer this, but I'm going to shoot anyway. Uh, I, I should also say for full disclosure, I, ha- I live with another Chinese Singaporean whom I just, who I asked this question to about an hour ago. Uh, or maybe three hours ago, uh, but I'm going to ask the same question again, which is, uh, and and actually I need to draw a parallel to something else that had this same criticism I'm about to make. So I don't know if you remember about maybe a year or two years ago, there was a Law and Order episode that was set in Singapore. Not aware. So this it was just one of the episodes from, and they were trying to catch this criminal that was there, right? I... I can't really remember the plot that well. What I do remember, though, was the backlash that movie got in Singapore for painting Singapore as an overly Chinese, Sinocentric country with a lot of Chinese music in the background uh, and quite heavy Chinese influence. That is not false. But the extent to which that is the case, I think, was overstated in the mo- in, in that show. I have the similar question about to what extent the uh, 
Chinese Singaporeans living in Singapore, and so uh, the Yang family and so on, have actually such a close Chinese cultural connection as they actually portrayed in the show. For one thing, so they, in Singapore, I, I should uh, suggest this to you. People who go to the school, Anglo-Chinese school, which the, the book Crazy Rich Asians was I, referred to in large parts. So we have this saying in Singapore that students from that school are not, they, their, their Mandarin is awful. They, they have, people have this stereotype about them. I shouldn't be talking because I don't, I'm not actually Chinese and I don't speak any Mandarin. But this is what the stereotype people have. And in a larger, on a larger scale, I think, I don't know, and this is a question I have, to what extent many Chinese Singaporeans have such close cultural ties to China. For example, the in the wedding scene at the grandma's house, the I don't know if you noticed the, the there was a band playing and the lady that was singing was singing Chinese music to jazz. I have never heard that in my life before. Probably that's because I am woefully unaware. But I had never I never heard that before. And there there were a number of times that there was quite uh there there was like Chinese language music in the background. Now, I've lived in Singapore that uh, for 20 odd years and I didn't I haven't got the sense that so many people have such close strong Chinese ties. Uh and this is something that I would like to see. maybe this so I guess this was a uh interesting movie for me if this is in fact true that extremely wealthy Singaporeans who are Chinese might have really strong Chinese cultural ties. I did not know that, if that's true or not. But this is a question I have, and I don't really know the answer to it. I, I, if you have any views on it, I'll be interested to hear. But, uh, yeah, I don't blame you for not having any strong views on the subject because, I mean, it's, it's a question for a select audience to answer, I guess. I think a very select audience that we probably will never have, be exposed to or have access to. Right. But I will say the Chinese Singaporeans that I knew, and there were a lot of them uh, at, at college, at Penn, um, did not seem to be that closely tied. I think, honestly, I think one thing I will say, and I think, I'm surprised hasn't come up already is the lack of singlish in this movie. Mm-hmm. Very, I mean, possibly because of their educational background, and that's probably been beaten out of them in 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 high school and in college. But you know, they all have impeccable British accents. It's just, I mean, so I I will say though that I especially, so I I don't know too many crazy rich people of the uh, few that I know who I guess are kind of rich. They still talk English, so I I don't think it is especially in Singapore talking among your friends. I don't think it's the case that one loses their English slang and stuff like that. That's something that I I would hope sticks with people, uh, and so I, I I guess I didn't notice that this was that there was no English in the movie, not because I was looking for it, but because I just it. It didn't occur to me that that's the thing they were representing. Um, but yeah, there there was little if no singlish at all in the movie. I, I as a Singaporean, I can uh, attest to that. 
And whether or not that's a bad thing, I, I'm really not the right person to ask about that. So to the point that you had before about <clears throat> the songs being sung in Chinese, right? That was a question asked to the director in an interview or two. And the director stated this. He said, I also like the idea of American songs covered in Chinese because a big theme of our movie is that the world we're living in is getting smaller and all these cultures are overlapping. It all comes together in this eclectic, eclectic tapestry, who's basically a way of showing you know, the world are coming smaller. Um, you know, it's a highlight the fact that the main character is like a Chinese-American who's constantly wobbling between the two, right? That, that's very interesting to hear because so looking at it, looking at the same thing I observed from his perspective, that's exactly what he's showing, right? He's, you're playing jazz, Western instruments, uh, Gibson ES-335 guitars. Very, uh, I, I play the guitar, so I, I observed that. Uh, and like really Western-sounding music at some points, but with Chinese lyrics. So I guess, yeah, that, that, uh, I, the point that the cultures are overlapping and there's a new, like, eclectic mix of cultures, I guess is true. And, you know, that's a... That's a that's another way of looking at that. I just yeah, fair play to him. Well, I, I believe I'm not sure of the same interview. I probably probably um, I think music did play a big role in why at least why I enjoyed the movie and how I enjoy most movies. But if you recall, the last song they play in the movie is "Yellow" by Coldplay, but a Mandarin cover. And there's a big there's a bit of a story behind it because number one. Um, Coldplay at first would not give the d- director John Chu the rights to use that song um, in the movie. And then the story goes uh, that he wrote a letter to them describing why it was so important that Yellow was the song that played over the credits um, for two reasons. I think one, because just for the emotional impact that that song would deliver in that moment. But number two, the the title of the the title of the song yellow and its negative connotations uh uh for east asian people you know similar for brown for south asians uh and black for african americans um and i don't know where i'm going with this but i just wanted to uh make that point while we're still talking about the music and the choice to use a mix of chinese chinese covers uh mm-hmm. as well as english language songs I mean that uh, it's it's uh, fair. I mean, fair play to the director for picking these songs. I my own uh, view, or I guess question, would be: Who is he trying to represent with this? Uh, if it is Chinese Singaporeans, maybe at least from my uh, coloured and limited standpoint, I get the sense that it might be too. Uh, Chinese centric. Uh, that's not to say it's wrong. That's just to say that, from what I have seen, a lot of my friends do not exclusively listen to Chinese songs. And uh, for ex- but however, for example, I will say a lot of my friends play mahjong. That was a game that we saw in the movie. A lot. Uh, I have heard actually of some of my friends being taught how to make dumplings from their mothers which was another thing in this movie so i guess you know maybe 
I'm being too harsh on the director. I wonder. Uh, maybe because I uh, don't know enough about the Chinese Singaporean experience. My own guesses, or rather limited observations about what it is I think he's representing and not representing, might be slightly skewed. So, you guys have talked about pointing on all the little details, <clears throat> from the guitars to the song to what language things are. And Rohan, you just mentioned, you can only really guess as to what kind of details he was pointing out that relate to the Chinese Singaporean experience. For you as a Singaporean, take ethnicity out of it. What sorts of little details, little aspects of the whole Singaporean culture stood out to you? Um, and was something represented more or less than you think should have been? So, I mean, Singapore is, is quite a prosperous country. Uh, they, we, they have, uh, our first prime minister and one of the famous uh, politicians in Singapore uh, has a book called From Third World to First, talking about how Singapore jumped from a third world country to a first world country within a generation. Um, and today is one of the financial centers in the world. I think some of that was definitely on show in the sense that there are really wealthy people living in Singapore and you could see the skyline with all of the skyscrapers and uh, financial district and so on. Uh, you also saw a scene where uh, they were eating uh, food at a hawker center. That is another very common Singaporean experience. Eating food at hawker centers is really one of the definitive things about being a Singaporean. I would say uh, the we in America the the word street food is used a lot. We don't really use that term as much in Singapore, uh, but it's the same kind of idea of food not in a restaurant, slightly. Uh, a notch down in terms of its fanciness and classiness, but nonetheless quite affordable and very tasty. Uh, that that particular aspect was, I guess, given some airtime. Maybe I I am I maybe I'm wrong to say not as much or not as little. I don't know. But we saw a lot of different types of food that they were ordering at that time. I guess that's that's a positive thing. I will say though that not everyone lives in mansions like that. But then again, and in fact, one of the uh, quite unique things about Singapore is that home ownership is extremely high, uh, except that people live in public housing. It's one of the reasons why Singapore's public housing is very good, very safe, and quite well regarded around the world. That particular fact was not mentioned as much I think there might have been a, a shot of some housing blocks but uh, if, if if people watching the show got the impression that everyone was living in mansions like this or in big houses like this that would be incorrect Singapore is the size of Manhattan approximately and uh, not there's just not enough space for everyone to have their own palatial garden and uh large swimming pool and what and whatnot. So 
but I, I guess some aspects of Singapore were, were represented well like we have a new uh, building called the Marina Bay Sands Hotel with the famous infinity pool at the top we saw that at the end of the movie uh, some uh, we saw a new something called the Gardens by the Bay which has which had those weird looking trees that uh, like sprouted out of nowhere which is a like garden park kind of thing the uh, government has recently built in the city which is beautiful um and yeah, I guess that we, we saw the prosperous side of Singapore. I guess one of the things we didn't really see that much was the other side to Singapore, that the everyday person's life. But then again, this is crazy rich Asians. This is not crazy everyday Asian. So I guess, you know, you can't represent everyone, right? That's the thing we were talking about earlier. And there's a trade-off. So, I mean, fair play to the director. So for me watching it, when I saw the main character going into Singapore, it feels like that Chinese-American experience of living life in America and then going to China for the first time and having to encounter that society, that culture, that whole social code, even though it's going to Singapore, which is not, you know, like, like you said, is represented as a very Chinese place, but it's not China. Uh, so for Arthur, who, you know, you've, you've been to China a couple of times, is what I'm saying true? Like, does it feel like if they made the movie, they replaced everything saying Singapore with China? Would it be like the same movie? No, because China is a communist country and there are no rich people in China. That's, that's half joking. Um, <laughs> but just it, it's again, it goes back to my point before. Singapore is a one of a kind place where you can set a movie like Crazy Rich Asians. This story does not take place in just any country or city. Uh, like, Especially the fact that they're Asian. You can have crazy rich white people in a lot of cities, but you can't have crazy rich Asians in many other cities besides Singapore, maybe Shanghai and Hong Kong, Tokyo, Seoul. That's really it. What's your experience like when you go to Asia? I mean, I, I don't... So that's one thing that I couldn't quite um, connect with Rachel's experience flying to uh, Singapore for the first time, going to Asia for the first time because she had never been to Asia before then. Uh, we find out later on that this is probably because of her upbringing and um, her mother immigrating to the reason her mother immigrated to uh, the United States in the first place. Um, but for me, my experience has been very different. I've been to China probably 12 times already in my life. Um, so for, I, China is, you know, a very, at the same time, very familiar to me, but also still a very strange place. Rich guy, 12 times. <laughs> I've been to New Jersey like seven times. <laughs> yo, so, yo, so when you, when you go, does anything stand out or like, you're just like, all right, this is just like my second house. Like, no, I mean, definitely not. I mean, my, the family I have in China is definitely very working class. Um, and uh, do, do you still keep in touch with your family in China? Absolutely, we have WeChat. No, and but you, uh, so how closely related are the family members you're talking about? Like your first cousins, your second cousins? Yeah, all first and second cousins. Basically, literally everyone else in my family except for one cousin lives in China. That's so that is amazing to me because of the numerous Chinese Singaporean, Chinese Malaysian, Chinese living outside of China, friends that I have, I mean, I guess genetically, 
maybe it's nine generations ago or maybe even two or three or four generations, depending on how early they emigrated, they were mostly in China. Maybe that's, I don't know if that's an overgeneralization, but I'm going to say a lot of them, especially Singaporean Chinese, have origins in China. I want to say that the overwhelming majority of people that I know do not keep in touch much or at all with family in China. And Singaporean listeners out there, if Kevin, you have Singaporean fans, feel free to correct me on that. But you know what? I don't think that's... I, I'm very surprised to hear that. How closely would you say people keep in touch with their roots overall, right? Like, I've heard that the secondary language education in Singapore is not only compulsory, but pretty good. Yeah. Um, and the four countries from which Singaporeans generally come from as, you know, a motherland is really close by. You know, you could take a budget airline and get to China or India within six hours, I would imagine. Unless it's Beijing, maybe it's a little bit longer. But given that, I feel like they would have much stronger ties. How do you feel about that when you're meeting Asian Americans versus thinking about, you know, ethnic Asian, which is more or less everybody, Singaporeans? So I I guess my experience is in the minority of people because I am very, very closely connected with my extended family all across the world. I know my fifth cousins. Uh, I don't know if that's even a thing. And I, I don't know if I've shown any of you this picture, but I have a picture of my family gathering on my mom's side, which gathers together maybe once every five or six years, which looks like a school. There's There's about 250 people in that picture. I know about 200 of them, easy. Like, I know them, I can tell, I, if I saw them on the street, I'll know them. The other 50, maybe I'll know, th- I know them from the picture, but I don't know them as well. The point being, I am very closely re- connected with my extended family. From my experience in my school and my friends, that is not, that has not always been true. Uh, especially when they come from China. That is also related to the point I was making earlier about I'm not sure whether Singapore is that that China-centric in the sense that I don't think people like keep in touch with their grandmothers, uncles, so-and-so who might still be living in China. I don't, I, from what I have seen, I don't know many people who do that. So I guess while it seems that cultural ties might be easier to hold close to oneself in Singapore, that is not necessarily true in practice. It really depends on the person. And for many people that I have met beyond family in Singapore and maybe in Malaysia, uh, where people, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people who have family members in Malaysia and some of them have come to Singapore. That's much more common to keep in touch with your family in Malaysia. But to keep in touch with your family in China... Again, I should say I'm biased because I'm not Chinese Singaporean. But from what I've seen, I don't know many people who do that. And whether I'm not one who's going to say that's bad or not. I personally think it's lovely to keep in touch with my extended family all across the world, including in India. But you know what? Maybe some people think it's burdensome. I don't know that... Uh, maybe do you have if you have any views on that? Like there, it seems to be from the movie. That's one of the themes I uh, 
observed how uh, strong the attachment one has to one's parents and one's grandparents in Nick's family. Uh, and that was interesting to me. I uh, did not know that. I guess I kind of did know, but it was just interesting to see that played out in a movie. The the kind of filial piety and deference to authority and deference to your parents' wishes. And when uh, uh, Mrs. Young was talking about how she uh, she doesn't like to do things, uh, doesn't like people who do follow their passion, but do things, but sacrifice for the long game and for creating something that is, you know, lasting. That was a perspective that I guess some people hold, but it was interesting to be portrayed on film and uh, on the big screen for people to see. And I, I don't know if you, do you all, did you all find that particular presentation something you uh, related to? Yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely one of the stronger points of the movie for me, at least, to depict those traditional Chinese and honestly, they, I think it translates over to other other countries. Those um, those traditions and that emphasis on family, the importance of family, of sacrifice, uh, of you know, putting your children first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was definitely one of the stronger yeah. points of the movie on top of everything else we've talked yeah. about already. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like the And oftentimes, you, one of the big disconnects really is uh, between people in uh, like Asian, geogra- geographically Asian people who might make different life choices as compared to maybe uh, Caucasian Americans. And one of the reasons this might be is this, that, you know, we have different, there, there might be different priorities and different values that they hold, different things that uh, maybe Asians or South Asians or Middle Eastern people might think of as important and overweight that as compared to some other passions or so on as to use Mrs. Young's words. And it was quite interesting to see that on the big screen. Because you, I don't think I, from I'm, I must confess I'm not a movie buff, f- by any stretch of imagination, but I haven't seen that scene, uh, that kind of mindset and perspective portrayed on the big screen before. I'm just trying to think, and if if you have any things that come to mind, then you should correct me. But I haven't seen anything. Nothing. I mean, I I, I will say I will confess I am a movie buff. Um, I haven't seen that at least depicted uh, in a Asian movie, just because there aren't, haven't been that many many Asian movies. But I do think it has come up in some, you know, mainstream movies. Um, I don't know why this movie is coming to mind, maybe because there's an Asian character in it, but Lion starring Dev Patel, which is set in Australia. I don't know if you've seen it. I I know who that is. (laughs) You Uh, know Dev Patel? Okay. From Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. 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 uh, Some people say he looks like my brother. Fun fact. That's a high compliment, probably, for both. Uh, (laughs) Do with that what you will. Yeah. But, like, just, like, just, you know, overall, I mean, just to summarize Lion, it's um, Nicole Kidman is a, um, is a mother, not mother, she is a, yeah, so she... And her husband live in Australia, and she adopts two children. They're both Indian, 
Dev Patel and this this other I don't know the actor's name, but this his a younger Sister. sibling. But they are him and Dev Patel's characters are unrelated. Okay, okay. But they adopt them because I don't I believe they can't have children of their own, or maybe for some other reasons, and they sacrifice a lot to. Um, basically, the root of the movie is to help Dev Patel find his um, lost mother back in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, it's not quite the same kind of sacrifice, but mm-hmm. I think I think that, I mean you can't say that there aren't inf- like um, themes, there similar aren't themes, themes of you know family and sacrifice mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah my point taken. When either of you guys, I'm not sure Arthur, how much you watch movies made in Asia. And Rohan, I'm guessing you've seen more movies made in Asia than either of us. But when you see similar themes or similar plots being played out on the screen, is there a difference in style or representation that you notice when you compare this movie, which was produced in the U.S. by a guy who's spent half his life in the U.S. and half his life abroad? So it might be a mixture versus a film with similar themes and similar plots with an Asian director and an Asian cast that's, you know, more or less completely within that world I must really confess this is going to be a bad answer to your question the more the the other Asian movies that I tend to watch outside of like US movies or like international movies are Indian movies Um, and a lot of the Indian movies I don't watch that many Indian movies a lot of the ones I do watch involve like themes that don't directly touch on this i guess i'm just thinking back to some of the movies that i'm uh some of the older movies like for the indian listeners out there uh mehuna uh and other uh bollywood classics when there is some talk about filial piety piety and respect for one's elders and one's family I guess so. Your question is: Is the style of representation different? I don't know really. I don't. I. I, I have no good answer to that. I guess the same. The the same general point that one respects one's elders and what one's parents think, and that one has an obligation to take care of them in in old age and listen to their views. Um, is not is is similar i i've seen that theme elsewhere yes i i i don't really i'm not uh movie savvy enough to draw good comparisons between asian movies i've seen versus american movies but maybe the movie buff mr mr arthur has something more to say about that i don't know sorry i've put you on the spot there nothing comes to mind i got to watch more asian movies that's for sure What else? Good burgers today. I'm still... I'm, I'm burping a lot, and they're good ones. You know the ones where you feel your chest kind of deflate a little bit? There's a little scent in the air, right? I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just filling up time. Anything else come to mind? Something feels something feels very unfulfilled for some reason. 
I was going to observe was the what I point I made in my monologue about 25 minutes ago or however long ago that was <laughs> maybe it's like 3 hours ago and that shows how long we've been talking but uh that the it has to do with the point the uh term asian and how that's used in different parts of the world and what that means for representation and people's recept uh how people have received the movie but Yeah that's I guess the main point I had along with that this is a good movie. Yeah, I definitely agreed on the good movie part and the definition part as well. I mean I think the I mean I don't honestly I don't care how much money this movie makes at the box office. I think it I I think there is something to be said for it, you know, just to show that there is a audience, there is a demand for a movie like this. But at least for me, the true success of this movie will only be measured probably in 10 years time if and when we see more movies like it come out. More movies like like John Cho has a movie that no one's watching out right now called Searching. That's about him searching for his daughter. It's filmed strictly on phones and with, with social media. It looks awesome. Probably going to try to see it this weekend. Um, just more representation of more stories again of not only Asians but of all kinds of different groups minorities ethnicities religions on on screen because those those are those are the real stories and those are stories that should be told and i think are honestly more interesting to see on screen well like we've talked about so much there's not that much asian american representation um are there any key qualities of the, the asian american experience you want to put on the mic right now that was touched upon or not mentioned in the film or is there any kind of tv show or movie that you can think of of like the five that exist that you would recommend of strictly asian american you know asian american ethnic asian which is broader terminology just that experience that you've had in your lifetime that was hinted at or not mentioned in the film honestly i think a lot of them i don't even know that exist yet Um, I think I would love to see more movies involving the British Asian community because I think that community is very cool and I would love to see. I haven't seen any cricket movies. Where are the cricket movies at? There are some some movies made in Hindi that have to do with cricket. Uh, Yes, and I think I need, at the same time, I need to watch more Bollywood movies, but at the same time, I think that needs to make it to, to, to the cinemas of the Western audiences. I mean I uh, of course I so I a full disclosure I used to play cricket quite a lot when I was young uh played for my country uh, at a young age so I would very much like to see uh, some cricket on the big screen uh I I don't know whether they I I guess the the I want to get back to something Kevin was asking earlier, which is what are the qualities of your personal upbringing and life experience thus far that you or and not just you, but your friends that you haven't seen represented in film or in in uh, popular culture thus far that you think need to be see, shown to the world. That was a deep question. Wow. I don't think I know the answer to that question. I don't think I can answer it. Do I think you, every part of the experience should be put on screen. I don't think I don't. I can't pick the top five. 
I think yeah. all of them should be on the screen. Yeah. Why should there be a top five? Yeah, yeah. Just put it all up. Just put it on there. It doesn't matter. All ages, from like from starting from the immigrant experience to the first generation to second generation to, to starting the, a business. Yeah, starting a business, model minority myth, um, affirmative action, all all of these things because these 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 are things we're talking about, but we don't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Like, just put it. Someone, I'm sure these stories are being written, but they're not being produced. And then, and then, because they're not being produced, they're not being shown on screen. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah, I mean, I can think of a couple of things to that question. Um, as a second generation Asian American, that may or may not have been touched on within the film. The first being relating to what Rohan was talking before about having this like pan Asian student group, or like what Arthur was saying, like in college you had like each country had their own student group, right? Um, kind of looking towards these ethnic groups, whether they're really wide or, or really narrow, as you go into the professional world. Like our second generation of Asian Americans, they're the ones that are kind of breaking the bamboo ceiling a little bit. More and more people entering like the workforce. You know, we all have white collar jobs and the extent to which we might rely on our community of Asian Americans or Chinese Americans um, or Singaporeans may vary. Um, but that experience of using those groups and kind of navigating the world um, of American office life, which is somewhat diverse, but really is quite dominated by Caucasian Americans. Um, I mean, Arthur, what's been your experience kind of using these ethnic groups um, of kind of going into American corporate culture and uh, and identifying with Chinese Americans, maybe? I mean... I mean, I think most people know about the glass ceiling in terms of women struggling to break into higher ranks at in white collar jobs, right? There, there are, I think, less than five female CEOs in the Fortune 500, something ridiculous like that. Obviously, there's a glass ceiling. We need to break that. Same thing with uh, minorities, uh, African Americans. We need more African Americans, Hispanics, uh, Asian Americans represented in middle management and, by extension upper management that's just a thing like i think at our level you know we're analysts senior analysts associates like where we, we don't experience that quite yet because uh, we do see like we do represent a fairly large chunk of the you know first years second years and law firms and banks and, and consulting firms um but yeah it's it will it is a problem and it will continue to be a problem until we get again it's just representation not only on screen but in corporate life in, other, in all aspects of our daily lives. Interesting. Actually, you know, Kevin, you were talking earlier about this pan-Asian experience for a second-generation um, Asian-American. So do you find that second-generation Asian-Americans tend to seek comfort and seek find common ground between other Asian groups? For example... Uh, I mean, just the fact that we are sitting here today, one Indian, Singaporean, one Korean American and one Chinese American would is, is, is the point I'm getting at. Do you find that you see other geographically Asian people in America as having a similar experience to you? And do you find uh, kind of, you know, similarities in that upbringing and therefore... Do you tend to get along well with them? Do you have a friend group that ref- represents that? I don't know how I've been asking the questions, but 
table. You're nodding, Arthur? So are you, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think to that point, like, the community that me and Arthur, like, so me and Arthur grew up pretty close to each other, and our community is very Asian-American. So, you know, growing up, going to school, a lot of my friends were Asian-American as well. All of our schools kind of had that similar demographic. What's up? What kind? What kind? Chinese, Chinese and Korean. Yeah, I think mostly more Chinese. Yeah, more like Chinese, Taiwanese, Hong Kong, or American. Um, not as many Korean. Amer- they went to Bronx Science. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. So, like, it was, yeah, it was mostly Chinese American. Yeah, so I mean, like, that group would be my core group and entering professional ranks where it gets a lot more diverse than it was you know, high school, college, it, it's, it is definitely a thought. I do like get along pretty well with the Asian and Asian American folks in my star class and the ones that I've met on my project a little bit easier, whether it's cultural differences or like where we grew up or <clears throat> memories and customs that we might have in common. But I'm just kind of curious, like when it comes to, you know, <clears throat> going to like these, Asian like focus groups that meet like like monthly at the company for instance like being like a being a big part of that um how helpful that really is I mean I think it's good you feel a lot more comfortable with those people and maybe Arthur might feel the same way maybe not but in terms of being helpful to do well in your career what do you think the impact is Arthur that was not where I thought you were going with this can you say that again (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in terms of kind of like hanging out with people of your own group, like, yeah, I'm I'm just trying to like deflect everything away from me, but like, <laughs> <laughs> if you, if that's what you're trying to do, I can answer Rohan's original question, please. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I think this is what this was a a cause or an issue within the broader Asian American community that I only discovered once I started having these kinds of conversations with other fellow Asian Americans in college. And it's the, um, we, we kind of touched on it before, but it's just the aggregation of what Asian means in different settings, right? It means something different in Singapore. And it, yeah, to your point, in New York and in most of the United States, it really means East Asian. So that, like, in which just by sheer population and numbers, that means mostly Chinese, then, Jap- then probably Korean in order, and then Japanese, and then you get a, a mix of Southeast Asian, and that in and of itself is a very large category, probably equal or close to so- the same size as the Chinese community put together. Um, and yeah, the, the immigrant experience that based on stories I've read, based on um, people I've met at college, uh, is very different based on what kind of what kind of Asian American you are. Everyone knows the Chinese American. Most people know the Chinese American, Korean American experience uh, because they tend to be more successful among the, among the Asian American community. That's just prob- a partly a background of they have longer histories in the United States, so they have had more time to you know, start small businesses and you know, generation after generation enriching their, their children and so on and so forth. But for a lot of the younger ones um, that are just moving, they're kind of in like the more recent waves of immigration to the United States. You think of the Cambodians, you think of the um, 
the the Laotians, the Burmese, uh, they haven't had the opportunity to enter in in the in the early twentieth century uh, and have the opportunity to accumulate more and more growth. So a lot of the first in first generation um, uh, Cambodians, Laotians, those kinds of immigrants have a very different experience and because they are a minority within a minority, they're even more underrepresented and they just don't have the chance to compete, honestly, on an even playing field with uh, not only um, uh, Caucasians, but also with Asian Americans at large. Do you feel like your career um, has a better chance of having long-term success here in America as an Asian American that may face some barriers, large or small, due to your race and due to your culture uh, versus, I don't know, going to Hong Kong, going to China where race probably wouldn't be a thing because you're a Chen. In terms of moving up in, in leadership, yes, it probably will be more difficult because... Where? Here, for sure. If it were... To, I, will, I, will, I will caveat that by saying it might... There, it would, not to say it would only be more difficult here. I think it could also be more difficult in Hong Kong or in Singapore because of the language barrier. Yes, I'll use English primarily, but outside of it, and I think most of us will, would agree, um, the social aspect of work life is just as important as what you do on the job. Um, so let's say, so it's not just language, it's also just social norms, social cues. Yeah, um, Hong Kong, I might be able to get get by because it is a very cosmopolitan city. I speak Cantonese, um, but let's say I were to move to probably I don't know uh, Bangkok or Tokyo, no chance, no chance. I move up anywhere beyond maybe at best middle management. Yeah, Rohan, what are your thoughts growing up in Asia, having worked the summer at Cravath, top law firm here? As to whether I would be more successful here or there, oh, oh right. Uh, I don't know. I I guess I'm not really in the working world so much. I'm, I've not got two feet in it yet, so I don't have a good answer to that. Um, I will say this: that as a lawyer, uh, the American market has opportunities that uh, I think I'm more both in number and in diversity of experience than many places I've seen outside of the the UK. Uh, partially, that's just because of geography that most of the big companies are American and they're headquartered here and they tend to have American law firms that advise them and that tends to make big, powerful American law firms. Uh, that probably means that being an American lawyer here allows you to have more experience and opportunity. Um, now, I mean, the, the numbers seem to suggest that, there, as in many professions in law, there are not that many minority people as partners of law firms. I think that's uh, probably changing, as many professions are. Uh, but... You know, I don't know how different it would be back in Singapore versus here. Probably, I think the diff the 
in my personal experience, how I'll compare it is this. If you had done some time abroad and then went back to Singapore, that would be a great advantage to you because you have, you know, exposure abroad and so on. But, and so you might probably, quote unquote, get ahead because you have that cosmopolitan exposure and so on. If I'm comparing just like being in the US for 20 years versus being in the in Singapore for 20 years or X amount of time, I I I have no good answer to that. That's a, that's a hard question. It really depends on like what industry you're in cuz like Singapore is really uh developing quickly and trying to get into new industries that maybe other countries that are bigger and take longer to make changes can't do. And so maybe for certain things, it might be better for you to get to stay on it, to stay in Singapore. Maybe for other things, if you're like a, a hotshot investment banker, maybe being in New York and there's just like a lot, more, that's where a lot of companies like to list and, and so on there might be more advantages to being here i don't know it really depends on the industry i think but uh it's that's a hard question and i guess one that uh, i wonder whether asian americans think about that a lot do you consider have you considered moving back to korea or have you considered moving back to china or to where your your ancestors or fa- extended family is from um I've thought about it. I'm not moving back. What was your thought process? Uh, the food is just so much better here. <laughs> really? So much better. I expected the opposite. Yeah, but it's all Chinese food. Is that really... Is that it? Is that the culture, I, the language, yeah, really? the, the government, honestly? It's... It's 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 everything. They're, they're, I, I struggle to find any criteria in which China specifically, and not saying all of Asia, but China would be a preferable workplace to where I am right now. How about Hong Kong or Singapore? Hong Kong is part of China. Uh, And obviously with a lot of the political turmoil in recent years um, would suggest it's not quite the Hong Kong I knew maybe five or ten years ago. Singapore would be interesting because um, I do have some friends there. The food is amazing. Uh, but at the same time, it's not home. I don't think it would ever be home for me. Rohan, you think you could stay here or go to London? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm open to staying here The work, if the work is good. And uh, I mean, I, I love it here so far. It's not home, as uh, Arthur pointed out. But you know what? Uh, Sometimes people, the the whole process of emigrating to another place involves living in a place that is not your home. Uh, there are many reasons why one does that. Um, if wh- One common reason is that one's job takes them to a different place. That might well be what happens to me. I don't know. Uh, I like it here. Uh, I really like uh, my experience working at this firm over the summer. And, you know, if I if I continue to like it as much, then who knows? 20 years later, I might sound more american back to the food thing what's better rohan what what kind of food american food and singaporean food is that a question that's not a question that's just 
that that's a question I can't answer. Like it's just if if you ask yes, me, you can. American. So, which place has better food? Different question. So that, that's the first thing Arthur brought up, right? So the food. Yes, but you're comparing to China. For me, it's China. China's home. China would be my other home. Like, I've already wrote it out. Like, so. let's say you're going. I mean, you're not going to some like like China's 15th largest city where they have like two dishes, right? Like, yeah, we're, we're, New York has better food than Beijing and Shanghai. Hong Kong is the only one that comes close. But are you talking about like let's say every meal costs 150 plus? Because like at the top tier, like for sure, like this place has got it all. But if I'm gonna, well, if I'm gonna, is better too. They don't have good pizza in Hong Kong. Oh. How do you feel about Singapore versus New York then, Rohan? So, by the way, I like that last uh, dish over there, Arthur. Uh, I don't know. I I think that uh, Singapore food is quite different from a lot of places in the world because the best food is actually the cheapest in many cases. That uh, is great news for me because I never had a lot of money. Uh, And you know what? If it means that everyone enjoys it, including the rich people, then you know there you go that's a big that's a big uh, difference from my experience in singapore versus here in singapore the kind of places i like to eat at and tend to eat at a lot if i'm with my friends or my family nowadays are like on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of like fanciness but I would. I hope my taste buds mean that I'm at the higher end of the spectrum in terms of where I'm eating. Uh, but here, I don't see that same similar kind of like cheap and best food. Like the best food I've eaten here was while I was working in the summer, and they brought us to John George. That's some delicious food. I have never eaten Michelin food before this. It's delicious. It's just not food on the street that costs $2.50. It's just what it is. Whether I like it more, I like both a lot. I'm obviously not going to eat John George every day. I might eat the uh, Singaporean food every day because it's much more affordable. So I guess the food scene in New York is different from the food scene in Singapore in that in my experience of it, it's not to say that Singapore doesn't have fancy restaurants. They have a lot of them. I presumably Eleanor Young and Co. dine in all of the fancy restaurants around the island. Uh, I must confess to not knowing many of them. Um, I also imagine that there are cheap places in New York that some of which I have found, some of which I'm still looking for. But the cheaper food in New York is more expensive than the cheap food in Singapore. I think that's one thing I've observed. Um, now, whether that means I pick Singapore over New York, I don't know. I guess I I probably will have to say I like Singapore food more than New York simply because it's home. And uh, there's something you can't really com- compete with on that. How much of Singaporean dining culture is about dining out at these hawker stands or more expensive restaurants? versus home-cooked food. I mean, New York City, honestly, most of us here in our age group, in our age bracket, eating out every night, as we observe, like, the kitchen is, like, missing stuff all the time. Like, you can't have, like, a full cooking experience. What is it like in Singaporean culture? 
So you have mixed, uh, you have a very mixed experience. You have, especially like I was saying earlier, because hawker centers and uh, food courts are so affordable, you have people who eat out, not because of anything other than price, that in some cases it might well be cheaper to eat out every day. You just, you, you also have people who eat out because of the convenience. That's probably the bracket I'll put most uh, both of you in, that you eat out because you work and you may not want to cook every night and it's more convenient for you to eat out. In that regard, I guess Singapore has some of that, but we also have more of a home cooking culture than I have seen in New York among my friends. I am surprised that a lot of people, even students in law school, don't cook at home. They just order seamless or whatever it is that it, they order. To me, I cook most of the time because that's, I mean, that's my natural uh, predisposition. Uh, disposition, sorry, is I, I would cook my food and eat it at home. Um, I, I do eat out sometimes, but more common is to eat at home. I guess that might change when you at place in life. When you start working, I presume you have less time and you might uh, eat out a lot more. But on the whole, this is a long-winded answer, apologies. I think Singaporeans and New Yorkers both have the eating out like mindset, but Singaporeans also have the home-cooked thing more than the people I've seen in New York. Maybe again, this is a bit of a myopic statement. You cook a lot, Arthur? You grew up here, but you live by yourself. First of all, I think this is a separate podcast, but this is this conversation could go on for days. Uh, I don't... I, I try to, but fail to for time constraints reasons, as he's mentioned. Um, yeah. Not a very good cook, so I'm not going to say much more. You guys sleepy? No, but that's not why. <laughs> I think that's just there's not. I feel like we exhausted the topic by now. I mean, we beat the hell out of this thing, so. I just have a whole lot more to cover. <laughs> watch the movie if you have if you haven't seen it yet. If you have, watch it again. If you have, watch it again. Watch it a third time. How many times have you watched it? Twice. Rohan just watched it once three hours ago or so. But it's better when it's fresh. I, bar- I barely remember the movie. I'm not going to lie. That's why you're the host. <laughs> 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 All right, that's it. Bye.